because technology and emerging trends in, in applications and software and networks is changing so fast, it is this sort of moving target for risk mitigation. And that's what makes it so challenging. Welcome to the Rain Insights on Security podcast with Brian Lynch. I'm Emily Donahue. As recent nation-state hacks of solar winds and other businesses demonstrate, cybersecurity will remain a major consideration and geopolitical storyline for businesses going forward. But this kind of espionage isn't new. It just keeps transforming. In this episode, Brian speaks with Matt Bogard, founder of the Bogard Group, an information security advisory firm, about five topics businesses need to focus on when it comes to security. Well, I am very pleased to welcome Matt Bogard to the podcast today, founder of the Bogard Group, an industry-leading consulting services firm. And Matt's firm specializes in advisory services related to GSOC assessment and development, executive recruiting, vulnerability assessments, and technology and information systems. Matt's firm is also part of RAIN's expert network, And I was recently on a panel with Matt. We were doing a webinar on preparing for global civil unrest, which went very well, we thought, and we received great feedback. And today's podcast is about emerging technology and its impact on security policy, risk analysis, and criminal activity, all risks that firms today see as part of their landscape. Welcome, Matt, to the podcast. Thanks, Brian. So, Matt, we want to talk today about the myriad of risks facing firms and how technology has affected criminal schemes and changed the cyber risk threats that firms face, adding complexity to an already complex landscape. You and I identified five areas or schemes related to these cyber risks for discussion today. We will also discuss, and Matt will offer some mitigation strategies that, when deployed, would reduce the exposure risk to firms. So, Matt, our first discussion topic today is a business email compromise scheme. And according to the FBI, it is one of the most financially damaging crimes. So why is that so, Matt? Yeah, Brian, thanks. So, you know, we see these business email compromise schemes and they they play into uh, people's innate trust in their in their business colleagues and they play into people's complacency about risk. And that's why they can be so effective. And when you can spoof emails and uh, and messaging uh, in, in a way that looks so authentic and so legitimate that it can be very, uh, you know, very, very powerful. And so, we, you know, we've seen examples of, you know, a, a, an email coming from a CEO to the company's CFO directing him to wire money from one account to the other or, you know, some financial transaction. And the CFO, uh, a highly educated, highly experienced person, uh, doesn't recognize the difference. And so those, I mean, that's just one example, but we see many others where they're utilizing technology, you know, and exploiting technology uh, to, for, for nefarious purposes. 
So that is uh, that. That's quite a masking, if you will, of normal process, right? They're receiving emails, and the perpetrators or subjects are making their emails look like those normal emails. So how can a uh, a person, either individual or a business, develop strategies that might mitigate that? So there are, you know, we were recommending a, a, a list of sort of best practices associated with uh, people sometimes use the term cyber hygiene or, or cyber security awareness. And, and, and one thing that is sort of reassuring and comforting is, as I'm sure people will feel there's a little bit of fear and, and fear mongering and concern in our, in our podcast today. These, uh, some of these strategies are, are very impactful and, and very effective. So people should not lose sight of that. So think of examples like dual-factor authentication when you log into your email, a, a, very, a relatively simple uh, addition. Uh, you know, your, your basic things like virus protection, making sure they're updated, firewalls. Uh, you know, for the example that I used, the anecdotal example that I used, which, by the way, I've heard happen on many occasions, uh, requiring personal conversations to execute certain tasks. So, you know, in that scenario that I mentioned, that CFO should call or walk into the office of the CEO uh, and say, you know, I got this email from you. I just want to confirm that it's from you. Um, so those are some of your sort of tactical approaches. You know, we also recommend, regardless of the size of your firm, you know, many firms are large enough to justify an in-house uh, cybersecurity expert or, or chief security officer. But if you're not, uh, use an outside firm that, that brings that same level of expertise in the form of a, of a contract, uh, you know, employee. Uh, and then finally, training and awareness for your employees. And of course, that's a theme that we'll see in several of our examples. And, and again, these are criminals that send an email, gangs or criminal gangs that send an email that appears to come from a known source making a legitimate request. And those mitigation factors will ensure that that is the legitimate request and from a legitimate source. So the second one that we talked about, Matt, on emerging technologies and how that's influencing firms and exploiting weaknesses is really related to the Russian bots and or the misinformation campaign that we have seen in the news uh, over the last several months and several years, frankly. Why is this a problem? So we're seeing that, you know, attacks of reputation or, you know, corporate sabotage are, are, are terms, you know, those are sort of the terms of yesterday. But the evolution of those acts, of those nefarious acts, are, have turned into social media exploitation and misinformation. Those are sort of the, the, the new you know, version of those uh, crimes or, or social concerns. Uh, and, you know, one thing that's really concerning about a lot of the misinformation or misuse of social media is it, it, a lot of it's not illegal. Uh, it, it's not, you know, you don't have to hack into Facebook to create a false page. You don't have to do, create some sort of electronic crime in order to spread misinformation or disinformation, and and that's what makes it particularly troubling. That a lot of times there's no crime. 
if you think about it, it's really a coordinated dissemination of disinformation. That's the goal, and to the end, what, what is the end that they're trying to accomplish, Matt? Well, there's a, a number of motives and objectives, and it's, it, it depends on the source. Of course, during the election, it was to create uh, polarization, to exploit incidents that may have already occurred in the United States, for example, that, that they can exploit to create, uh, you know, uh, uh, false concerns, false debates, uh, create a, a movement that doesn't exist, or maybe it's a fringe movement that they are making it mainstream. Uh, in the case of a corporate application, it, it could be, uh, you know, corporate sabotage, reputational attacks, trying to harm the competition, uh, trying to, you know, increase this, the, the rogue states' overall influence and power in the world and trying to weaken and diminish the U.S. power through in the form of, of weakening a, a large corporation or a large in, or a major industry. So, Matt, what should a corporation or individuals, for that matter, do to ensure that they are not proliferating this type of misinformation? What, what, what are some of the common sense strategies? So, we, we recommend, once again, you'll you know, the, the training and awareness. The more that employees and stakeholders are aware of these sorts of schemes and these efforts, they can uh, sort of self-police the information. And uh, in that way, you know, we're, we suggest, you know, instead of seeking news on social media where it's not always clear about the authenticity or, or the, the, the credibility behind the source, is to seek out their own news. Uh, through you know media sources, mainstream media sources, established media, and and newspapers and the like, uh, so that they are seeking them instead of having that news pushed at them, where it's unclear what the source will be, you know what the source is. And by the way, as I mentioned in the earlier section, a lot of these news sources and news stories are so well done and so professionally presented. They look the same as a New York Times or a Washington Post or a Wall Street Journal article. Yes, and therein lies the uh, the rub, right? It's ensuring that the information that we are reviewing and relying upon is credible and trustworthy. The third area is around ransomware. Reporting has indicated that roughly half of the U.S. corporations were attacked last year by ransomware. Matt, let, let's let's talk a little bit about ransomware. Yeah, so ransomware is is really this is the uh, evolution or the transformation of a long-standing crime that goes back certainly decades, maybe centuries, uh, known as extortion. This is this is the the new version, the technologically based version of extortion. And in the case of ransomware, we see, you know, organizations, uh, a rogue person or a rogue nation state will, you know, hold a network or particular content or trade secrets associated, you know, with a formula or uh, think in today's times, a vaccine. Uh, and they will hold that information hostage, essentially, or that content hostage until payment is made. And what's particularly concerning about ransomware is that a, a lot of the research is, is showing, is reflecting that it's, it's so uh, 
so drastically underreported because these firms need to get back on their feet and the interruption of the business can be very painful. So they're often paying the fees, paying the, the extortion demands and to get to get their, their, their content back. So really, really a dangerous area here. It, it is a dangerous area. It's, um, it, it's being used by either nation state, as you mentioned, or criminal uh, organizations. Why do you think most victims pay the gangs? Most uh, organizations uh, are often, you know, unsophisticated, especially or smaller, medium, or, or um, emerging organizations. They they don't have the sophistication or cons- or uh, awareness of how to address this. Number one. Number two. They may or may not want to involve law enforcement. In the case of a larger corporation that can create, you know, enormous reputational risk that they have fallen victim to this scheme. Uh, and then the third I mentioned before, this is a business interruption. This is a, this is a, a, a you know, a, a loss of, of finances, sometimes by the hour or by the day or by the week until this gets resolved. And so the quick, the quicker that they can get it resolved, uh, they will do that. And if, and if it means paying the fee, paying the uh, extortion uh, demands, they will. And talk, Matt, about how important business continuity is, in, in particular in this type of criminal activity. We're always recommending that you know all firms, whether you're two people or 200,000 people, uh, you really need to have a business continuity plan, a, a, a documented standard procedure of resiliency. And then, of course, that includes succession planning and all that. But in this case, it's more applicable to make sure that um, you you have a backup plan. You have contingency, uh, you know, uh, uh, data. So if, if, you know, depending on the sector you're in or the service or product that you provide as a company, back up all company content, back up all of your trade secrets, have them in a separate, uh, you know, entity Think about cloud-based offerings and, and that sort of a thing. None of these are 100%. I want to be clear about that in our podcast. None of the recommendations that we are making are 100% effective, but they are powerful and compelling when we talk about mitigation. That's the term we want to use. So, yeah, business continuity is, is really critical. And that's a great point, Matt. The mitigation strategies that we're talking about here is really allowing a firm to limit their exposure risk. You're never really taking away all of the risk. Uh, so the point about business continuity, I think, is a really a critical one that you can continue to operate as a business even in light of of this type of activity. And Brian, one other note uh, that I forgot to mention is and it often gets lost in the discussion as we talk about mitigation efforts by corporations and organizations, is insurance. People oftentimes, to, in order to bridge that gap, since we agree we can't eliminate the, the, the risk completely, but if we can bring the percentage down and then we can close that door with uh, transferring the risk through appropriately uh, customized individual insurance uh, that is a recommendation we make as well. Uh, and I think it's one that, that people, uh, organizations need to be thinking about. Yeah, it's a great point. And it's a, it's a, it's a, 
And the fourth topic for conversation today for our audience is related to what we have called stalking or harassment of employees, whether that's cyber stalking or physically stalking at a business the, uh, and the employees of, of a company or of a firm. So Matt, can you talk a little bit about what you're seeing from your clients and how, how your firm can help? Yeah, so we're seeing, you know, when, first of all, when we talk about stalking, we're, this is a subcategory of workplace violence prevention. Workplace violence prevention, of course, is a enormous topic and a, a real concern for organizations of all types. And of course, those risks have been transformed and evolved a little bit in the world of the pandemic where we have people at home. Workplace violence risks do not go away because so many people are working from home or, or, or engaged from a, di- from a distance. Uh, there are still risks there. But stalking and harassment, you know, again, one of those crimes that goes back decades, centuries, potentially, and is, is an issue. But, you know, how much more effective that you could stalk and harass uh, employees uh, without having to do it face-to-face? And, you know, company networks and email and all the mediums of communication that we use these days, from Slack to, you know, different instant messaging platforms, this allows employees to be harassed and it creates vulnerability and opportunity. And it's this whole a separate element uh, of, of workplace violence now with all the technology uh, you know, integration in everything that we do day to day. And can you talk a little bit, of Matt, around what mitigation strategies and policies and procedures and, and how important uh, firm leadership on this subject is? Yeah, in, in the same theme and vein that we think about workplace discrimination or, um, you know, topics surrounding inclusion and those sorts of things, it's the, it's the same uh, in the sense that we have to create a culture from the top down that empowers people to come forward, that sets a standard in the workplace, that this sort of behavior, this sort of treatment, of employees is absolutely unacceptable. And when it happens, people need to raise their hand, sound the alarm, and come forward. And not just do that, but do that with a sense of confidence and empowerment and know that from the top leadership down, they are going to be supported in those efforts. And it's what we we use the term with a lot of our clients, the culture of safety. There has to be a culture of safety because By the way, you can have the most sophisticated and most trained and most, uh, you know, impressive security firm. That's not or or security contract or security team uh, in your organization. That's not enough. You need a entire workforce culture that is dedicated to safety. So when they overhear something that when an employee makes an observation that when they read something from a coworker, that they know when to speak up because every employee has to be the eyes and ears of an organization. That's how we create this culture of safety. And that's how we prevent this stuff from happening. And Matt, speak about how important a threat assessment team is to a firm and frankly, to the employees of that firm. Yeah. A, a threat assessment team for, you know, for those that may not have one or, 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 you know, haven't um, worked with one, 
they're usually a multidisciplinary team, you know, between five and ten folks, and they're representing the various verticals of an organization. Think, you know, human resources, IT, corporate security, leadership, that sort of a thing. Uh, and, and they would all be at the table to assess concerns. And the reason why a threat assessment team is so critical and essential for workplace safety and creating the culture of safety is that so much of this harassment is in this sort of gray area where it does not rise to the level of law enforcement engagement. It may not be this obvious you know, uh, stalking. It may not fall under the, the criminal element of that state or county's laws. But it doesn't mean it's not important, and it doesn't mean it's not causing disruption in your workplace and someone's being treated unfairly or in a dangerous way. So you need an assessment team that can apply a set of standards and structure to evaluate and assess to get to those problems before they fester. And we've seen, sadly, we've seen so many of these workplace incidents that have devolved and deteriorated, uh, and unfortunately, in some cases, you know, turned into some a tragic incident uh, at the end. We find out when we go back and retro those, and we find out that there was months, sometimes years, of lead up. There were signposts. There were signs, symptoms. There was behavior that was ignored. There were employees that didn't feel empowered to come forward. There were things that that we should have seen as an organization, and that. Uh, that you know, committee of experts can help mitigate that concern. Yeah, it's a great point, Matt. And when you think of it, it's a, it's a whole of company approach, as you mentioned, uh, particularly with the threat assessment team, but also with the culture, as you mentioned, and and the leadership in not tolerating that type of behavior, and uh, the training and awareness of and how to report that inside the company is critically important. And it's, it's up to the employer under their duty to care, as we like to say, to manage these appropriately, timely, and thoroughly, right? The capabilities of the business to investigate fully and resolve the allegation is critically important, not allowing it to fester, as you mentioned. So let's go on to the intellectual property theft. And we have certainly seen instances of this type of theft uh, over the course of the last several months to years to decades. Why don't you talk a little bit about uh, the type of activity related to intellectual property and why it's so important to focus on this for companies? Yeah, so you know, think of 20, 30 years ago probably 30 years ago now, uh, where in order to uh, acquire, to steal to you know, in an unauthorized way this intellectual property of any type, like you said, it could be plans, research and development, it could be a movie script, something like that, you would have had to you know, physically engage with another person or, 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 or enter you know, and burglarize a building in the middle of the night and those sorts of things. Those, there are a lot of barriers to that. But now we've now we insert we have this sort of collision of technology and intellectual property, and suddenly you don't have to burglarize a building, you don't have to hold someone up at gunpoint, you don't have to climb a fence. Now we can do it from you know the basement in you know someone's home and hack into a and break into the network uh, to to steal this information and to acquire this information. 
and it's it's safer from the from the the you know the, the other side of that. It's a, it's an easier operation in a lot of ways, and a very very effective. Uh, and it can you know it, it can be incredibly damaging when you have uh, this information get out. Again, think about the most topical example of you know the formula for a vaccine for COVID nineteen. Uh, you know, and then you get into you know the 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 other areas of of research and development or, or entertainment, but incredibly concerning when this is can be achieved in in a much more effective, easier way than before because of the introduction of new technology. So, Matt, how should the firms that have intellectual property how should they define their security program? What should they focus on? Yeah. So, what firms should do is is really establish. Uh, and this, you know, sort of circles back a little bit to business continuity, but evaluate, you know, what is, what are their most prized secrets? What are their most important and essential trade secrets? What is the content that would be most painful to get, to get out there on the market in an illegal way? And they need to evaluate, you know, where is that information? Who has access to it? How are they controlling the distribution uh, and and the you know the the storage of that? Is it being retained consistent with best practices? And you know, are we thinking about how we you know segregate it? Uh, are we thinking about business interruption insurance to transfer the risk? Uh, are we thinking about you know ways that we might partition or segregate data? from certain, you know, areas of the organization. In other words, let's make sure, to use sort of the government term, the right to know and need to know. Simply because a movie script is sitting on the network for an entertainment company in Hollywood doesn't mean that the entire company needs access to it in order to do their jobs. So it's it's really a, a, a very thoughtful self-assessment of that company's intellectual property and what would be most painful and most impactful if it were to get disseminated illegally. And as far as the threat actors involved in this type of activity, in this type of criminal activity, you not only have criminal organizations, but in, in this particular type of criminal activity, you have state actors. Uh, can you talk a little bit about uh, what that threat looks like, Matt? Yeah, we're seeing, you know, sadly, we're seeing uh, these sorts of crimes being committed by multiple stakeholders, multiple groups, stakeholders probably isn't the right word, but multiple groups. Uh, you know, you could have rogue states trying to acquire, you know, critical trade secrets from a tech firm in, in the United States. Uh, you know, you could have an, an individual uh, who is trying to get an unfair advantage over the competition. Uh, you know, you could have uh, an external uh, person who is trying to infiltrate via the network an organization uh, to you know create corporate espionage or damage the reputation of a competitor um, but all of these uh, and it could just be a one-off rogue criminal uh, that you know wants to uh, you know steal this information so but but certainly the what we've seen of late are what you mentioned these rogue states and that have highly highly sophisticated, uh, capabilities in terms of hacking into uh, and, and breaching networks uh, and, and stealing intellectual property. These are not amateurs, and, and we need to be clear about that. Matt, you discussed 
that some of the threat actors here are nation state. And we have seen recently another highly sophisticated attack, uh, this time against our government. So it really feeds into the uh, the discussion that we're having about how important it is to protect our assets uh, and, 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 and in light of what we've seen in the last uh, couple of days and, and is probably going to be highlighted coming up in the next several days about the extent of that type of attack. I mean, we've sort of covered the core issues, uh, but I think those sorts of attacks are, are becoming the norm and we should get used to them. And the biggest problem with those attacks and everything else we spoke about is because technology and emerging you know, trends in, in applications and software and networked is changing so fast that it is this sort of moving target for risk mitigation. And that's what makes it so challenging. Yeah, it's a great point. And, and to recap on this topic, as you mentioned, it's important for companies to identify what is their intellectual property and then develop procedures and policies and the infrastructure, the security infrastructure, the cyber infrastructure to protect it. And then understanding when something is trying to either get into their system or at the point when they have actually been a victim of intellectual property theft, that that is immediately known and that they can conduct their own internal review, forensic review, and develop a timeline of events for law enforcement involvement. Matt, thank you for being on the program today. Thank you so much, Brian. Uh, A great discussion and all very, very important and essential topics. So thank you so much. Individuals and organizations turn to RAIN for risk intelligence that cuts through the hype to focus on what they need to know, what to expect, and what to do. Whether they are physical, digital, or complicated risks, our team helps yours manage risk with critical insights and expertise for better outcomes. Join us at RAINnetwork.com. That's RAINnetwork.com. I'm Emily Donahue. Thanks for listening. <laughs>